Thanks to Cryer Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, as ever I'm saying as ever, that I'm being joined by my good friend, colleague, all-round good beer guy and great mate, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Good to be back. How things? Been a been a fairly quiet week um, for for me in terms of events and things. So I've been just uh, chipping away at the paperwork. How about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, a lot of planning for good beer week coming up. I've um, there's still a couple of festivals to go. Uh, Bendigo Craft Beer Festival, the uh, High Country um, Hop Festival. Um, so exciting times. Yeah, actually, I think I might have mentioned it last week, but this week on the Gold Coast on at Southport. The uh, Southport RSL um, is having a craft beer festival, which is, um, you know, it's something that's a little bit unusual. Um, and when I, I went down and visited, I'm, I'm appearing at it, but I went down and visited it a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I had four or five taps of craft beer. They've got a CUB contract, but they've got a uh, four or five taps of independent craft beer. They had some feral hop hog on, a um, couple of other, you know, local beers, but then they also had a fridge full of craft beer, which. Uh, <laughs> You know, for, for a Pokies, you know, Kino, RSL on the Gold Coast, normally you, you're you not going to think about. So, yeah, that was quite exciting to see. I actually was genuinely excited because I thought, no, this is you know, like, this is what we've talked about. This is the, um, you know, crossing the Rubicon. This is chipping away uh, at that veneer of, um, of uh, I guess, homogenous sameness um, in our beer culture. Um and it's it's a, it's just one small thing, but if yeah, if, if you know, touch one, touch all kind of thing, you know, it's the perhaps the start of uh, of somebody's craft beer journey. Yeah, and it, and it's it's interesting, you know, like it's we, we talk about beer being a conversation. For me, that sums up a whole lot of things because on one hand, you know, I'm sort of trying to understand exactly what this craft beer thing is, although we have pretty much stopped calling it craft beer, and it's sheer forgetfulness when we do, but. You know, uh, and the chat we're having today is going to take that conversation a little bit further, looking at, you know, where craft beer has come from, what it means now and where it's going, because it is a continuum. And uh, I, I just thought something, it's not really a cards and letters, so I'll, I won't save it for the end of the show. But um, a, a fellow that's been along to a couple of my uh, beer dinners, um, you know, for, for a long time and uh, got very excited about beer and was really into it and was in a lot of the craft beer groups. Um, he's contacted me about doing a, a beer tasting for his, um, his his work and I was a little bit worried because I knew that, you know, having, you know, he came along to one of my tastings, discovered craft beer, it was, you know, probably Stonewood Pacific Ale or, you know, beers around that um, flavour intensity and before he went off, started discovering some of the bigger beers. And I just have said to him, oh, mate, look, you know, Given it's a work function, are you going to be wanting me to skew the beers towards your palate, or you know, to you know that that intro novice thing? And uh, you know, he he actually sent back and said, um, you know, I've regressed in my uh, preferred choice of beer styles these days, and find it hard to go past a good pale ale. Uh, been a while since I had Pacific, but uh, I know a lot of people who don't think it is the same since the brewery switch. Give me a beachy pale ale or Chevalier says on any day. Um, and I just sort of thought, you know, it's really interesting. And that does describe that process that I've increasingly seen people that, you know, have been kicking around craft beer for a while and getting into the big um, IPAs and the double IPAs and chasing out the latest and the greatest from overseas and the McKellars and all of those things. I am noticing that, you know, that excitement does tend to wear off and, you know, maybe the financial reality of, you know, $25 for one beer when I can buy a really good sixer of Beachy Pale Ale um, for, for the same amount, um, 
there is a little bit of a journey that people are on and the journey doesn't always just see them going up and up and up. Sometimes it seems them coming back a little bit. Yeah, ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, there's nothing wrong with just feeling like, uh, you know, I just need a bit of a punch of hops or now I need, you know, something a bit more neutral. Absolutely. And that's where I think that, you know, I'm in, you know, like I'll, um, I tend to, you know, just the beers that I have when I want to have one, you know, at knockoff is a um, Four Pints Kolsch or a, you know, Stonewood Pacific or, you know, Beachy Pale Ale, um, those sorts of beers that are just ones that you can enjoy for the, the just their simple elegance. Um, and every now and then I'll, you know, I'll sort of say, oh, look, I'll, you know, I will have a saison or I will yeah. have, uh, yeah. you know, something that's a little something, bit punchy. Something you want to listen to and, and engage with and that sort of thing. And other times they're just for drinking, not for thinking. You just want to. Yeah. And, and then depending on what I'm eating, I'll sort yep. of uh, bring something else in there that I think goes quite nicely. But uh, yeah, so I, I thought that was just quite a nice little thought that, um, well, you know, it's, it's not this forever. Week also looked at um, Pirate Life uh, talking about their, the, the spike in, in their sales since uh, the Hottest 100. The Hottest 100 now, I guess, is is um, a great vehicle for throwing new brands um, in in front of new consumers. So it kind of links in, you know. The, are we going are we going to see changes like that and more breweries having the opportunity, I guess, to uh, a more mainstream spread of of um, information? Yeah, look, great point. And when when you look at their um, lineup, it's a complete opposite of what I'm saying. Where it's yeah. you know, a, a, a very hoppy pale ale, a very hoppy you know throwback mid strength IPA, and then a double IPA. So um, they really are catering to that um, end that are on on the onwards and upwards. And you know, too much hops is never enough. Um, but yeah, to take your point, yeah, it was really exciting to see that having a brewery that has just rocketed um, into the top 10 position with two beers and then number 11 as well for the Hottest 100, that it's brought um, a lot of interest to them and created a lot of attention, which is uh, very exciting for the Hottest 100. Yeah, a little. So I had uh, my neighbour across the road who's a, a younger bloke. He's a young family, a couple of girls, uh, you know, uh, preschool age. And he said, oh, did you, did you hear about that, um, the, oh, the best beer thing, the 100? Is uh, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. That was one that um, you, you bought a six pack of them over for us um, when we were uh, building our fence. So that was two years ago. But bang, you know, there's that, <laughs> there's that recognition. But a, it's yeah. you know, he happened to see it because he it's it's now you know the information is out there where where uh, where previously it wasn't. Yeah, um, and uh, I mean, I I think we both did a couple of interviews um, about it, and you know, on on mainstream media talking about it. And I, you know, it's a little bit funny when you're talking on like three AW is your Fairfax yep. equivalent to four BC up here, yeah. and uh, but I've done quite a bit on four BC, and you know, I, I, I've always felt a little bit that you're not talking to the um, craft beer bubble when you're on the phone to them, mm. you know, you're, when you're sort of talking to them. Yeah, yeah. And so on one hand, you know, you, you're sort of saying, you know, beers that you've got to know, like um, James Squire in there, but then there's these other things, you know, uh, brew cult, milk and two sugars, and you feel the need to explain it a little bit then to them that there are these other beers out there, which is, again, you know, going back to the RSL conversation, really exciting that we are seeing craft beer get out in you know so many levels and on so many different uh you know ways yeah yeah, yeah. and i just called it craft beer again yeah um i don't mean 50 cents in the <laughs> in the we'll put a jar in yeah <laughs> um other news this week lion's volume down three percent um I, I guess a lot of our listeners will probably say ho-hum but that's actually pretty big news um now is it the like uh beer and wine and like all of their um or is it you know the dairy side of things and their food, other bits and pieces, or is it is it just or is it just beer? 
Total volume in Australian beer, spirits and wine business has declined 3%. Um, it, it does bring all of that in. Um, I'll just go straight back to the full media release. So beer, spirits and wine, total volumes in Lime declined three year, driven by the overall beer market decline. So whilst it is they, they're reporting by the division, it does seem to be very much the decline is driven by um, the beer market. So... Um, and and you know, last week we talked a little bit about the uh, jobs lost in Tasmania as Bogues was pretty much being dedicated to Bogues and some of the mainstream brands are going to the bigger breweries, um, which have an excess of capacity. Um, but that said, they're also saying that they benefited from, uh, I, I think, profit. That they still managed to remain profitable because the value of what they're brewing is going up even if they're and it's covering for the the, the lower volumes yeah yeah but it's I, I had a, i did have a bit of a chat and i'm going to write an article um we had build um chatting to uh line about the tap king um for the podcast this week um what happened to that where where is it well maybe maybe i dreamt it but i was pretty sure that i said look great to chat on the, the podcast have a discussion about it um, but yeah, once it came to do the interview, they sort of said, oh no, this is for print only. So I'll have to take that, <laughs> the, the transcripts and write them as an article. Or, or you and I could do a Clark and Door. Could we turn it, could we turn it into a script? And... Oh, I don't, I, yeah, it, things are a bit touchy with Lion over the, some, some of the discussions that we've had recently. So it's probably best not to, uh, agitate them too much. Right. And they, they did go ahead with the interview. Um, but yeah, maybe that's something that we will uh, keep up our sleeve for, for later edition. But, uh, yeah, they, they did say that, um, value is still there. So, you know, whilst a brand like Forex, um, gold may not be, you know, there's probably a bit of price pressure on there. You've also got something like summer bright lager, which wouldn't cost vastly more to, um, produce but you're still getting you know six seven eight dollars a carton premium on it so um yeah. and, and and again when you're making you know squires 150 lashes in uh you know i, I think they made an sab now and they've undertaken a 75 million dollar renovation down there when you're making those beers at that sort of volume um and selling them at the you know the the premium that those beers are are making um that seems to be where they're quite happy um, but that said, there's still a lot of, um, you know, VB and Forex Gold are still 12, 13% of the market, respectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you need to see craft beer grow a long way out of its 5% before they're really um, you know, going to be happy with the way that the decline's going. Prof, I mean, what, what do you see as being the things that are driving the decline in beer? I, I guess I kind of think it's something different every time I... I look at it. Um, I mean, competition. You would have to su suggest is is one of them. Um, I, I sometimes wonder whether or not we're confusing people with um, because it's almost like we've we've introduced this massive range and we've we've opened everybody's eyes to beer that the rest of the world has has kind of grown up on um, in terms of traditional styles, it, it, despite lager and pilsner being uh, far and above, uh, far and away the the most popular. Um, is it all of a sudden now? Hang on, this is this inverted commas craft beer thing. Is it's all getting a bit confusing? I might just stick to cider, or I might have my you know beam and cola in cans, or or whatever. I don't know. I don't like anything. There's no one linear trend, but you know it, it did. I think that overall people are drinking less, um, 
And so we're seeing less alcohol being consumed. And with beer being the major drink for Australia for such a long time, um, and, and, and yeah. beer, for better or worse, is still seen as a volume proposition. If I had a dollar for every time I gave somebody a beer that they really like the flavour of, that's I said, oh, mate, you couldn't drink a six-pack of it, could you? Um, you know, and that seems to be the... The, this still rusted on ingrained perception about what a good beer is. Yeah, beer we, is don't, we don't have the concept of, of really enjoying one and just sa- and savouring that experience. And, and savouring that experience for, for the flavour. Um, you know, and, and we talk about you know, session beers or you know, social beers is the term that I like a little bit better. That you know, Whereas you might just have one or two glasses of wine, you want to have four or five beers. And as we move away from that, um, I think volume of beer consumed is just going to decline no matter what we do. Um, but then in, in that share of throat battle, we are also learning losing um, to wine and cider and RTDs, and particularly cider. Um, you know, one of the things that you hear people talk about is over the last 20 or 30 years, um, the bitterness in beer um, has put people off, you know, you know that particularly in mainstream lagers. Whereas, yeah. nature, you know, for, for most people, um, if you give you know kids a beer, um, they hate it. And you know, most blokes you speak to, we're not recall... we're not advocating giving kids kids beer. No, no, <laughs> no. Just but, don't try this at home. That's using an example. You know, you know, like I remember pouring beer for for my dad and thinking, how does he drink this muck? Yeah. Um, and so, oh, it's an know, acquired the, taste, son. You think, well, why would anyone want to acquire it? But then once you do, yeah. But once you do, and, and in Australia, there was that cultural imperative for blokes to um, acquire a taste of beer because yeah. beer is what blokes drank. And so that was your motivation for overcoming it. Women didn't have that same imperative because there wasn't the expert, you know, Sheila's didn't drink beer, blokes did. Yeah. Um, and there isn't that same imperative these days with so many different styles. And so brewers have started being making beer less bitter. So you've got the, the Coronas that are, um, and the summer bright lagers and the great northerns that are targeted at that, you know, young, Han ultra. young younger drinker, Han ultra, yeah, um, that are targeted at them. Um, but then there's also branding similarities or marketing similarities with cider. So they've it's got a lot of accuser of, of beer, but without that um, bitterness that puts a lot of people off. Um, and brewers aren't waiting around for people; they can't wait around for people to develop that acquire that taste so they're chasing their palates elsewhere and um so that's also whilst a lot of people are saying oh you know these light flavored and these flavored lagers are introducing people to beer i actually think it's introducing them to a flavor profile that is well matched by cider as well yeah could be we'd be gonna get we'd be gonna chat to our guest we, we should sit there uh... waiting on the phone <laughs> now, mate. Speaking of uh, the, the guests, he, he's he's a mate of yours, uh, Derek Hales. Uh, maybe you can intro it this week and tell us a little bit about who uh, we're speaking to. Yeah, sure do. Thanks, Matt. Uh, yeah, we decided that um, we would speak to somebody who uh, has recently begun their own business, and it's quite a different business, I guess, to um, uh, the model that that some uh, home brewers who have gone pro have chosen to follow. So it's uh, from Bad Shepherd Brewing, and it's uh, Derek Hales, and we begin by asking him. Uh, we, we begin by asking him, who is Derek Hales, and what is something that our listeners should know about Derek Hales? Derek Hales is a Canadian that is forever planted now in Australia. I'm Australian as well now. So, but um, uh, my goodness, what is something that uh, people want to know about me? 
people don't want to know much, I don't think. Was that uh, my my staff would tell me that I forget everything that I that I have and own, and they often point it out for me. As far as even when we close up at night, they point out where my car is, so I remember <laughs> I get home. So, um, Rich says the same thing about me. <laughs> I can with, never, with I can't remember anything. <laughs> but that's why you have other people around you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> But uh, last night, one of the reasons, uh, there's a lot of reasons we want to speak to you, but one of the reasons is that uh, Pete hosts the regular Ale Stars down at uh, local tap house in Kilda. Mm. And last night he hosted a session um, of former Ale Stars turned brewers. And uh, y- y- you were there. So, Pete, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the premise for, for last night and how last night went and then talk a little bit about Bad Shepherd. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Ale Stars has been going about seven years now, and it's basically a, a monthly beer appreciation club that has sort of uh, grown into somewhat of a little community uh, at the, the local tap house. And uh, so last night was the first time where we, we, we kind of realised that uh, there were many amongst us who, you know, not so long ago were sitting down drinking beer and listening to, to brewers, um, you know, chat about beer and, and be introduced to various styles or di- different breweries or whatever it was. Um, and these guys have now sort of come, gone from being home brewers to pro brewers. Uh, and in the case of, of three of the um, current Ale Stars, they're actually, you know, uh, commercial brewers with a, a, a brew pub or a brewery uh, operation. So it was a great opportunity, I guess, to show them off uh, as, you know, as Ale Star alumni, so to speak. And um yeah, Derek, uh, Scott McKinnon from Wolf of the Willows and uh, Shandy from um, Riders Brewing Company, the, the three guys who I guess have, have taken theirs out of the, the laundry and, and gone out into the big wide world. Um, and it was just a great opportunity to, uh, I guess, show in, in microcosm, it kind of shows how um, the Australian craft brewing industry or community is, is so very vibrant because none of these guys sort of, you know... Uh, fell on their feet, um, but they certainly had a lot of help along the way. And I think that was one of the, the key messages from last night was that, um, you know, there are no secrets. And I think, Derek, you sort of talked about how how much help you'd received from um, uh, not just from a brewing sense, but from a, like a business perspective, from a, a hospitality, from a venue, uh, from a kitchen um, perspective that kind of, you know, ties all of that together, which is probably a nice segue in to, um, into you having the opportunity to describe Bad Shepherd for those who don't know about it. Uh, yeah, sure. Love to. Um, that's actually a great description of the people at, um, at Tap House and Elstars as well. Peter, I'd have to fully agree with you. Um, it's a wonderful community and one of the places where I cut my teeth in terms of passion and excitement. Um, and it probably spawned a lot of what uh, what we're about today. Um, I don't think we're, we're not unlike um, the Elstars in that we're a community and and a place where people can come and just have a great time. Um, that's uh, that's really what Bad Shepherd's Origins was. Um, my wife, Dee and I, um, we are the um, the operators of owners and operators of Bad Shepherd Brewing, um, and amongst a few other local investors. But um, our um, our our premise is to really entertain and and. Um, and let people go when they come in the door. Um, we always loved entertaining at our house, and people would never stop coming over. Whenever we invite people, they'd all show, and we'd have 30, 40, 50 people coming to our house. It was always a lot of fun, But um, and I'd make 10, 15 beers, and I'd always be looking for feedback. People knew we wanted to one day open a brewery, um, but we always found that everybody really enjoyed themselves at our house, and we love entertaining. And 
Um, and we just kind of figured that, uh, you know, that true extension of ourselves, um, which would, we hoped would show in our brand and our culture was to continue to do what we're about. And that's entertaining and, and giving people a good time. So when, um, when we decided to uh, start the business, we thought a brew pub was more a reflection of our, of our identity. Um, and we also felt that it was in dire need in the Southeast suburbs of Melbourne. So that was a great, uh, great combination. And, um, and the name came uh, really spawned from that. Um, Duty uh, one night after we had probably about 30 people over at the house, um, you know, they were all complaining, saying, you know, we can never say no to you. She was Duty does all the barbecuing. She does a, a place that's a comfort food, um, American barbecue influenced place, um, and she smokes meat. Um, she's a, it's a big passion of hers, so she's doing all the smoking. I'm serving all the beers, and people would say, we can't say no when you invite us over, and we always have to come. <laughs> Everything's so indulgent and not always the best for you, but um, but something you really enjoy. Um, and, you know, that night she kind of said, we're, we're kind of like the bad shepherd. We're the ones leaving everybody. And we thought, hey, that's a great name. Um, and so it stuck, and we just built around that. And um, and when we when we launched, we thought the best positioning for us was to extend ourselves into that community. And so when we, in our place, in our brew pub, when people come in the door, uh, we want you to let it all go. We want you to come in and have a great time with comfort food, great beer, Leave all your stresses behind. Um, we'll take care of you, and and we and we really want our staff and ourselves um, to show that and and to exemplify that. And so far, it's really worked. When people come in, they've actually um, given us that feedback that they feel like it's a place that's kind of always been here, um, and that when they walk in the door, they really just enjoy themselves and let themselves go. And um, we get that feedback a lot. So I think what we've been striving for so far has actually worked. We need to stay on top of it, but. Um, yeah, we want to be that, that comfort place that is a home away from home for the community. Derek, the, the brew pub model is um, is something that I, I think it's my favourite uh, model, I guess. Uh, you've got a production brewery, you've got, you know, a small brewery with maybe a cellar door or, a uh, you know, a shop front where you, where, you know, a tasting room or something like that. Um, the brew pub really fits your style and, and, and works really well. Why do you think there are not more brew pubs um, is it just because there are two schools of thoughts that you, you're either in hospitality or you're you know, or you're a brewer, and and once you kind of mingle the two, that you know that's where troubles start. But there are other people who say, well, you've got two streams of revenue, that, uh, which can often help, and cash flow we know is is king, particularly in the brewing business. Um, it's a great question, uh, Prof. And I'll tell you, um, when I first got into this, I was warned time and time and time again by all the people that did help us. Um, not to do, either not to do a brew pub or streamline the brew pub operation, um, and the feeling, the, fee, the feedback I got um, was often uh, more, I, I think, a regulatory issue. Um, Australia as a whole doesn't quite understand what a brew pub is, um, and in fact, when, when it took us nine months to get our local planning permit, and when we did get it, we couldn't use the term brew pub. They hear the word pub and they think of drunks, you know, um, yep. vomiting in the streets and. So we use the term brewery and restaurant, and it still took nine months. They didn't get it. We had to go jump through a lot of hoops, and we eventually did receive our planning permit, but it took quite some time, and I think people are, people are really spooked by that. I think the other thing that people are spooked by is, as you mentioned, the hospitality gain is very different, um, and, it, and while it is immediate cash flow, it's a costly uh, approach because if you don't do it right, you can have a lot of waste. You can have excess labor. Australian labor standards are very high um, in terms of uh, expectation of quality of service, but also in terms of price um, for the hourly wage. So you, know, you, you, need to, you need to have a pretty buttoned-down establishment. If you can do it, it's, it works. 
but yeah, there's, there's some there are some risks and some hopes to jump through, and I think that's what's kind of stopped a lot of people. Um, I'm quite certain we could have been open over a year ago just doing a brewery. Um, it took a lot longer to get to the point of doing a brew pub, but um, in the end, I believe it was the right thing to do, both in terms of, as you mentioned, there's not many. Now I agree. I think it's I think it's the best model out there. It's also an extension of ourselves, so it's most true to brand. Um, but I also think like it's it's I think it's the best model out there. Um, as a, as a rule uh, for service also in terms of quality of product because I control, I can take it straight from the tank to my cool room and serve directly there. I know it's fresh. I know it's new. I know I've kept it cool. Um, I know the lines are clean. So I have a great, I've, I have really good control um, over the product from cradle to grave. And I know places like um, Dogfish Head that, that have that model. Uh, and again, it's, it's probably more popular in, um, in the UK and in, uh, in North America. But there's that advantage of, of having um, the world's best R&D department um, all paying to try your beer and give you feedback on it. So it's kind of like a whole separate department to your to your business that you don't have to pay for. You know, you, you've got these punters oh, there who tell me what you think of this beer and, and you yeah, get that you immediate do. feedback. Yeah, you do. Um, and it, it, <laughs> there's a double-edged sword there though, right? Like it, you do um, and you need to uh, be open to it and not have a chip on your shoulder it's it's that is that opportunity for people who are giving you honest feedback because they've paid for it over your bar and they want to enjoy themselves so there are people that have um for the most part I, I, you know our complaints beer related tend to be just that they're not we don't have carlton draft on tap or we don't have anything that tastes like it um and you need to be prepared for that feedback because well i fundamentally believe that there's that there are obviously much more and better beers than that. Um, you know, every consumer is right in their heart of hearts, and you have to respect that. Um, so when they come in here as a paying consumer, we have to respect what they want. Um, and we do our best to, to solve it for them, but you have to be prepared for that feedback that often people aren't happy with what you serve. And, and what is your approach to that? Because it's something that Pete and I come up um, quite a bit in our consumer tastings and things, and, you know, we, we love beer. But at the same time, when somebody comes up and asks for a super dry something, you don't want to make them feel excluded from the club just because they you know, haven't discovered it yet. So when somebody comes in and asks for a Carlton draft uh, to the Bad Shepherd, mm. how do you guys tackle that? You know, it, it's a tricky one. I don't know we've completely nailed it yet, Matt. Uh, I think so far what we do is we do our best to offer them. We have um, what we call California lager. It's a steam beer. Um, which we couldn't really call steam beer because of Mountain Goat having a steam ale and being confused in terms of the product. Um, and I don't like the term California common. I, I personally just think it sounds cheap. So we call it a California lager. It is a lager brewed um, at ale temperatures, but it's still a lager. It's the closest thing we got. We try that. If that doesn't work, we offer them uh, a little taste of kind of everything. And um, we do have some guest taps, and sometimes we it catches, and they and they kind of like the Wolf of the Willows XPA or something else. But... If it doesn't work, um, we often just kind of say that, well, this is, this is why, why we make what we make, try to explain the importance of quality um, and flavor in beer. Um, and if they still aren't that happy, then we kind of just say, well, <laughs> to this point, we just say, well, sorry, we couldn't, we couldn't meet your expectations. Um, but, you know, if you're ever willing to try anything else, we're, we're happy to do so. Um, and they usually, most people are usually pretty good about it. If they do, they just say, yeah, I get it. Um, you know, I've grown up and always had Carlton Draft or VB or Super Dry all my life, and I'm just not there. And, and then they 
don't really come back. But I, I they're under two percent of the people. It's just you need to be prepared for that conversation. So, Derek, you touched there on uh, Wolf of the Willows. Now, you've got an interesting, uh, I guess, the the third part of the the brewery and the uh, food side of things uh, that you've got. I, I guess a, a co-tenant or um, you know a, a fellow brewer uh, on board in Scott McKinnon. Uh, and his wife Renee, who have created Wolf of the Willows, uh, who are now brewing out of Bad Shepherd as well. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, well, they're brewing out of Wolf of the Willows. Um, this is their place as well. So they're a co-tenant. You're right. That's a great term. We actually we refer to each other as brewery partners, um, but it, it's their place as well. So um, the uh, the back half of our building is pretty much cut in half. Um, the back half of the brewery, or the back half of the building is a brewery. The front half is a restaurant. Um, the front half is 100% uh, Bad Shepherd, um, and the back half is um, shared um, between Wolf of the Willows and Bad Shepherd. Um, we both own the brewery together, and we both share the facility. So um, it's their place as well, um, and they, they brew their beers here. Um, we purchase their beers and put them on top. Um, I think we'd be quite remiss if we didn't, um, but we also have a great relationship. We enjoy putting them on, so um, he makes great beers, and Scott from Wolf of the Wolves makes great beers. And, um, so it's, we, they'll always have at least two taps um, at uh, Bad Shepherd's Restaurant, but then in, in addition, the vast majority of his volume obviously is wholesaled, so um, they're, um, they're wholesaling the beers out of our shared brewery. Um, and the way we've done it is we, we both have access to our own tanks um, within the shared um, equipment. Derek, one of the things, back when you were describing the venue, you talked about the beers and the approach and the comfort food and the barbecue, which are things that are very, very popular at the moment. Mm. Um, now, obviously, to have opened a brewery um, and invest in the, 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 sort of the hard part of brewing, you've, got a, you've made a commitment to the long-term future of the, the craft beer movement and also your business. Do you think that some of the things that we're seeing now as being very popular, like barbecue, are going to evolve and change? And how are you going to cope with that um, as, as the fashions in beer change? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think, I, well, personally, I think it's, um, that bar the emergence of American-style barbecue is not unlike the emergence of, let's say, Vietnamese 15 years ago. Um, or craft beer over the past decade, um, I think it's here to stay. Um, I think it will become a part of the evolving repertoire of, of the consumer base. Um, so I think, our, and our food matches great. You know, pulled pork, uh, smoked chicken wings, um, you know, ribs, brisket, that stuff all just matches so well with beer. Um, and I think there's always going to be a, uh, a desire for it from consumers. But um, as the expectation, you know, Melbourne especially um, has a really high expectation of quality of product and challenging palates and challenging tastes. So I think, um, I think what I expect to see um, is um, uh, a raising of the game of what barbecue can offer. I think it's always going to be there now, um, but I think that you know, whether that's um, new rubs, new sauces, um, new ways of serving, um, or new cuts of meat, things like that. I think we need to try to challenge ourselves around what we can offer that still complements really well with the beer. Um, and I think, you know, craft beer is the same. It's, I, I think it's all about staying at the forefront of what, um, of challenging palates. Um, and that's, that's what, that's what our brew pub is about. Um, you know, and we challenge palates within what is, um, what, what is appealing to a wider variety of consumers. Our, position will never be that we are the um, you know we're, we're never going to be the ones like seven cent making amazing 
um, innovative styles that um, that appeal to a small niche, um, you know, Maven type consumer. We're a brew pub. We're a brew pub in the southeast suburbs. We need to offer products that people really buy into. Our guest apps can deliver that um, that next layer of challenging innovation, but our brews actually will be more um, existing. Uh, craft beer styles like IPAs, brown ales, pale ales. Um, you know, we may eventually venture into um, sours or things like that if they emerge a little further. But we'll certainly do double IPAs and things that are, um, you know, things that are perhaps a bit more broader appeal. Um, we'll put our spin on them, um, but they'll still be true to style, existing, uh, probably a little bit more popular in craft beer and offer those. So, um, and I think the food's the same. So, how do we challenge? I think we grow with what grows um, with consumers around us. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, for sure. Derek, a lot of our listeners will be very happy to hear that uh, you were not so long ago uh, a humble home brewer. Uh, you then, I guess, took that to the next level by entering some of your beers into um, local state competitions. You've then, from there, uh, were crowned uh, home brewer of the year, which uh, allowed you to, um, I guess, then you know build on your passion. It gave you an opportunity to brew a beer for Gabs uh, two years ago. Um, how have you found the the step up from you know from uh, kitchen bench home brewer to then you know, <laughs> uh, brewing uh, a, a, a day a month or whatever it was at, at Mornington Peninsula Brewery and then going into your your own uh, setup? Yeah, I, you know that's a that's a great question. Um, it's interesting to, to look back at, at um, the journey that I've taken and that others have taken too. I think everybody gets in the industry in a different way. Um, yeah, I, I did start as a home brewer, and you know, <laughs> last night um, Pete, we actually made some jokes about another home brewer in the All Stars that I think one day will go pro. Um, but he has a six thousand dollars setup. My home brewer was two hundred dollars. My setup it was it was a pot and a bag, um, and a, and a kind of a couple of cheap fermenters and, and an old fridge. But um, I, I used that for several years, um, and yeah, I, I challenged myself, learned as much as I could, um, to to and, and kept on trying to repeat the same beer over and over to perfect it and to learn what what works and what doesn't in in brewing. And made my American Pale Ale over a hundred times. I tried I tried everything I could to perfect exactly what I want out of a beer, and um, and that that did lead to success in in winning um, the Victorian champion brewer a couple of times and and that that probably painted the painted the road or i guess the path for me um to start to enter into the industry and that's when i decided it was time and i wanted to have a crack so um i approached mornington brewery and asked them if i could spend a day a week um going down there and, and brewing on their uh, on their facility and, and it really just gave me floor time um so i spent i just started cleaning kegs and by the end ag was just kind of showing up let me in the building and I'd brew and he'd come back into the day and lock up. Um, so I, and at that point I felt confident enough that I knew my way around a large brewery um, and would be confident with big pumps and, and valves and I could actually operate not just off a $200 kit at home but in a proper brewery. Um, and concurrently I did, um, I did study with the uh, Institute of Brewing and Distilling and Siebel Institute of Technology um, in the state. So um, just acquired a bit of technical knowledge and, um, and used all that to formulate a business plan and be confident I knew what, what brewery system I wanted, how I wanted it formulated, and, um, and then partnered with Scott, who's a, kind of a completely different story from Wolf of the Willows. You know, he, he homebrewed probably a, a fair bit less than me, but he's an, he's an adapt and quick learner. Um, and he, um, 
his his ability to take on things really quickly and and apply them is amazing and he's he's very humble um when he speaks to other breweries he's, he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder so when he learns things he he decides if he's going to apply them if he does he doesn't well um so um but he didn't have that technical knowledge or the floor time I did and yet he's kicking goals so I think um people that enter the enter the industry there's plenty of different ways to do it um looking back for me I I wanted that floor time. I wanted to feel confident in the brewery floor, and I think it, as other people speak to me, we're taking on a, a guy now in our brewery, in our brewery, just training him from the bottom up, and again, floor time and getting that technical knowledge. I actually, I actually think is critical. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm happy I did, and I think it's, it's uh, given us the best chance of success in the, in the, in the brew pub now. So just tell us a little bit about the courses that you, you did do through the IBD and through the Siebel Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, I only did the entry level for both, um, and I did part of the first module. But so instead of uh, brewing distilling, I did the uh, the concise. Uh, sorry, the um, the general brewer certificate, um, which is the first level before you actually do the diploma in brewing. Um, and then I got halfway through the the um, the diploma in brewing and, and stopped. Um, I, I I would like to go back. And, and revisit it. We kind of just ran out of um, runway on that one. But um, so the the general certificate gives you an entry level, explains the science to the uninitiated, explains the what and why of, of the process. And you learn a little bit about technology um, and the importance um, of um, of understanding QC all the way through. So um, and then I took the concise course in brewing technology from Siebel as well. So um, again, probably about the same level. It's an entry level course. But it does teach you the importance again of QC, the what and why. So it kind of just reinforced the same thing. Um, and um, and then it, you know, for for an actual established brewer, I strongly recommend to continue down that road. Finish the um, Institute of Brewing and, uh, and Distilling uh, diploma, um, because then you actually learn the true science of it, um, and you can use that to assess um, and address um, or diagnose problems and 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 implement. Um, actions to to mitigate any risks or issues. So um, I do intend to finish, um, but right now my my focus has been on more on floor time. Um, I think between the two, I think getting an entry level um, plus floor time is better than getting just technical study. Um, I encourage you. If that's if you know for the people out there that are homebrewers, aspiring homebrewers, and um, you know they have full time jobs, and the only way to do it is technical study. It's great. It's going to help. But I think getting actual floor time on on big vessels. Um, it exceeds the benefit of the uh, technical study in, in my eyes. It, it's interesting that you, uh, you bring that up, Derek, because that's Pete and I were talking off air um, as being one of the big issues that uh, we identify that there is this view in craft brewing that it is a craft, it's not a science um, of brewing, mm-hmm. and that if you get too caught up in the um, issues of you know, science and technology, you're getting away from that idea of craft. Um, mm. Do I mean, do you think that to be a good craft brewer, you've got to have that really sound technical um, and scientific knowledge to, to to make sure that your beer, whilst maybe not perfectly consistent, is at least technically right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, th- I think you need some basis of technical, technical study. I think the, the amount that I have is probably just about um, the minimum, um, maybe, maybe a little more than that, but um, if you don't understand what's happened to your beer when things go wrong, um, it's very hard to address and and um, and, and revise um, or, or correct your situation. So, I, I think you really need to have a solid technical understanding to to um, implement any sort of actions. Um, I think that 
you know, it really depends upon your role and what you intend to do, though. Um, there's a few other brewers out there that make incredible beers that actually just don't really repeat what they do. So if you're not striving for consistency and, and you're okay with variability um, and, you, and you understand your system, um, I think that you can have more of an art approach to brewing, but I think it's a balance of the two. And you need to have, a, for the most part, you need to have a technical understanding. And um, you know, if, as we grow, it's fully my intention, if I remain in the brewery within the business, to continue to evolve my own study. Is that the more we grow and the more we, we try to pursue wholesale and, and hold our quality beyond our own, uh, our own building um, in our local area, then the more we need to understand how to control that quality. Um, and that's, I, I think that's critically derived from technical study, not from, not from the art. The art is more about understanding how flavors come together and how you can celebrate that with you know, um, a great mix of malt and hops or other adjuncts that you're throwing at it. Derek, you and Scott are both very different um, styles, very different people, very different personalities, which is probably why I think you guys will, will work well together. But the one thing I think that um, that that links you is your um, record keeping, for for want of a better term. I know uh, Scott is the he's the the Excel spreadsheet king. Every, everything, <laughs> every single uh, whether you know everything that happens in the brew, um, from recipe development right through to the actual brewing, he's he's logging. And you're very much the same. And you you sort of alluded to it before that it's about. Keeping those records and making sure that you you know what you're doing so that you can address issues and that sort of thing. In terms of advice for for those listening out there who are either home brewers or, or pro brewers, um, just how important is that? Oh, it's critical. It's you can't you can't do anything. Well, it's very difficult to do anything to achieve consistency if you don't understand what you've done. Um, I agree. I think Scott, um, he's probably more detailed than I am, and I actually am a pretty detailed guy, but I've seen his notes, and he literally takes minute-by-minute um, minute notes of, of pHs and, and gravities and, and when he's doing things all the way through his entire brew day. I strive for um, you know, critical junctures throughout, but I do also record um, and have a, have a very solid brew log um, of the brew day and then, and then the brewing process all the way through so I can, uh, so I can assess again what's going on and if, if I don't achieve consistency, I can look back at my pH I can look back at um, you know, my crush, my, 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 uh, my mash temps, my ferment temps, um, what I pitched, you know, what I did um, all the way through and find out if there's something that has caused the variability in the product um, and if you don't have that it's very hard to yeah, achieve consistency. So I think uh, record keeping um, it's critical to uh, to deliver a consistent product. And for you know any aspiring home brewers out there, I'd, I'd hate to say to give that advice to other pro brewers. Um, I'm pretty new to the game, and I feel like I don't have that. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't earned that um, yet. But for other aspiring home brewers, I, I would recommend that you do take those notes. When I when I first started home brewing, I'd just record what my gravity was and maybe my mash temp, and that'd be about it. Um, but by the end, I was I was practicing what I would do in a, in a real brewery, and I had a full brew sheet, um, and I would keep track of everything. And I'd take gravities every single day um, in the fermenter and, and pHs, and, and I'd, I'd just follow and I'd make sure that I had a great QC, and then I'd repeat the beer. Um, the other thing I'd recommend to home brewers out there is repeat your beer. So, like I said, I made my American Pale Ale over 100 times before we launched it here. And, and the best way to learn your system, or the best way to learn to be a consistent brewer, is, is to define a recipe, make it then make it again. When you've done that, make it again, and then make it again, and make it again. And if you can continue to make that beer 
um, and make it taste the same each time. Or if it does taste the same, and then if you apply a change, you can actually pull out exactly what that change was. You've actually achieved an ability to define a recipe and know what's going to happen. Uh, but if all you're doing is making a different beer every time, you actually don't know what's going to happen. So it's critical to continue to make the same recipe. It's really boring as a home brewer. So oh, I was going to say, that sounds like a... <laughs> that, that almost sounds <laughs> You've like taken all the fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends what your objectives are, right? Like if, you're, <laughs> if you want to be a home brewer, I wouldn't do that. But if you're home brewing you know, with a means to an end and it's about opening a brewery, well, you need to know consistency. And unfortunately, you have to throw... You have to throw the fun of homebrewing kind of out the window at that point. So, but I'm a craft brewer. I'm an artist. I want to express myself. Eh, well, yeah, so I think consumers in, don't necessarily agree with that. So that's the thing, right? It depends what you want. You want your brand to stand for. We want our brand to stand for consistency. And so we will strive for the best record keeping and logging and, and QC we can. Um, yeah, and there's more to it than that. We will be investing in... In the, in the uh, basics of a lab, like a, a spectrophotometer, or sorry, no, sorry, not a spectrophotometer, um, a um, hemocytometer, and a, uh, and, a mic, and a microscope, and keep track of our yeast health as we as we start to repitch, and you know, track our, uh, and we'll be we'll tracking our CO2 levels or DO levels, just things that can help you understand, um, you know, where where things go wrong in your beer. It's not just about logging what you did; it's also logging what came out to the beer. So. Um, and I think there's plenty of other great breweries out there, professional brewers that are doing that as well. So I think I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants in that one. And we probably should point out uh, that sometimes, and, and again, this is the, the brew pub um, model allows these kind of um, you know great accidents um, to happen. <laughs> last night, last night I had a most magnificent beer, which is the Wolf of the Willows Johnny Smoked Porter, blended with. Uh, the Bad Shepherd uh, Raspberry American Wheat Ale, which was just an absolute... Like, it, it should not work on so many levels. But this came about because of the guys just sort of at the end of the shift, uh, like your you, you front of house, your you hospo guys, I guess, just kind of mucking around a bit, what would happen if? Um, yeah. which, which which I guess in, in many other situations, you know, would, would just never happen. But this beer that came out was just... Just for a one-off, uh, was just magnificent. Oh, it... it just amazing as it actually started with um it was the guys mucking about but it started with a, a patron asking the staff have we ever considered blessing anything <laughs> and there was i think a few blank looks between the bartenders and then kind of the lights went on no but <laughs> <laughs> and and the, and the play started and that's where they kind of landed on that and it was just you know, they brought it to me. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I called Scott the next day. I'm like, okay, you need to try this. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's the fun of a brew pub. You're right. And, you know, while we strive for consistency, the reality is a brew pub has the um, – we, we have the license probably to have uh, a bit more inconsistency and kind of have a bit of fun with it, but it's not what our brand is about. We want to always give the best we can and the most consistent product. There must be plenty of traditional um, uh, styles of beer out there that came about through – um, various sort of, you know, accidents of nature or, you know, I mean, you know, all, all those sorts of things. So it's it, it's kind of embracing, I guess, that ability to, for beer to be, um, you know, a dynamic and organic kind of thing and, and growing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, I, I fully agree. Uh, I, I, I'd be shocked if it wasn't that um, 
the vast majority of the styles of beer out there weren't um, accidents of nature in some some way, shape, or form. Yeah, you know, our steam our steam uh, steam beer, which is a you know, which we call a California lager. It's the Germans brought that out to California and tried to make you know their pilsner and. The weather was different, and they didn't understand that, but it changed the beer. So it's an accident of nature, and now you have steam beer or California common, California lager that you know is completely different to anything out there, um, just by virtue of the fact that you know, they made it in California instead of Germany. One of the just looking at your your, your beer list, you've uh, you, you've got the American pale ale, you've got the hazelnut brown, you've got a California lager, you've got a tiny IPA, a session IPA. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the trends? You know, we've seen a lot of sour beers. We've seen you know barrel aging. Do, where do you see the, the the next trends coming that you are interested in? Uh, you know, sort of playing in that pool. Uh, definitely, um, without a doubt, IPA. Um, I think it was, it was interesting hearing Sam Calzoni speak um, at the Tap House a couple of months ago, and he was saying that uh, Wall Street, who now follow craft beers, is such a large market in the in the states. You know, they they did uh, their market research analysts were trying to figure out what the next big thing is after IPA and the answer they had was IPA, you know, and then after that's gonna be IPA. So, um, yeah, and the reality, our our portfolio, we, it's kind of a glaring omission. We do have what we call a tiny IPA, which is an India Pale Ale at three and a half percent, so kind of cutting the gravity in half. But um, we don't have an India Pale Ale now. Um, that's the next thing we'll be adding to our repertoire. But um, I think I think growing and challenging the space. The space of what um, what hops can do um, in different styles of beer is a, is a lot of fun, um, and I think we'll be pushing in that direction. Um, so definitely IPA, and then uh, from after that, uh, an imperial IPA. And in the short run, we're actually doing a one-off um, single batch of a uh, a red IPA for a bit of fun. That's um, I actually brewed it yesterday, and um, and it'd be interesting to see how that one comes out. But um, you know, once that one falls away, then well, if you have an IPA, I think I, I think everybody should have it. I think that's for the foreseeable future. It's the most drinkable. Um, well, it's it's the one that's perceived as the most drinkable beer uh, with consumers, and um, as as people kind of you know, bridge into craft beer, I think um, hoppy pale ales and you know six to seven percent IPAs are kind of the place that they naturally kind of fall to um, before they expand and and um, and learn their palate. So. That's um that's the place we'll probably focus on first, and then after that, yeah, we we'll probably have a bit of fun um, looking at um, sours, barrel age, things like that. But um, but we'll we'll kind of expand our um, repertoire as our consumers and our local consumer base and, and community that come to our brew pub grow with us. So right now it's just about the IPA, I think. <laughs> it, it it's interesting to hear you say that, um, and and I know in the states, you know, the IPA is the style. Mm. Um, and I guess there's a whole lot of uh, economic and cultural reasons that it's uh, so big over there. And I think, you know, chiefly that brewers can make big beers without being without the financially yeah. pen- penalised for them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's something about the US that they do express themselves. You know, they do go large. When they go large, they go very large. And IPA fits in with that exuberance. Um a lot of the craft brewers that have been inspired by the America, what's happened in America, um, have embraced the IPA here. Yeah. And it creates a lot of excitement, and those who sort of fall in that subset of beer geeks, um, you know, love it. Um, I, I just don't get the feeling that in Australia, um, when you move out of that thin edge of the wedge, um, yep. that there is that same love for IPAs that 
we'll, we'll see it follow suit in, 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 in Australia? And, you know, am, am I wrong or, you know? No, I actually agree. I think, um, and, and perhaps I was probably quoting something that is an American, um, an American view. I, I actually, I fully agree with that. Um, I think that um, there's two things that come into play that cause Australian palates or consumer tastes to, um, to diverge from Americans. The biggest one is going to be tax. Um, you know, because excise plays, we have a progressive um, alcohol-based excise tax. You know, to make a six to seven percent beer, you're adding to anywhere from a buck to two dollars, uh, you know, a schooner. Uh, it's, it's a fair bit, um, and so it 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 reduces the likelihood a consumer is going to choose that. Um, but the other thing is, I think I think Australians, I think Americans, I don't know why, but have latched onto these six to seven percent IPAs in a big way, whereas Australians. It's just a natural tendency to choose something that's coming between four and a half and five point two, five point three percent that they can sit on and have, you know, an extra instead of having three, they can have four or five. Um, and enjoy themselves over the night with that. And there's something about the culture of Australians wanting to drink something not so heavy. Um, maybe it's the weather, maybe it's just the way their natural predisposition, I don't know. So I think hoppy pale ales are certainly gonna always be the growth and perhaps challenging in that environment. But Yes, there are the beer geeks out there that drink the 67%, and I think that people, a lot of consumers that are um, not as, um, yeah, I, I guess, financially uh, motivated um, when they purchase and they, they have a little bit more uh, freedom in terms of their wallet, um, will probably still have a, a strong desire to try the IPA because it has such a, um, so, I guess, such a rock star status around it. Um, that would be sort of the, the thing that will prop up the hoppy pale ales that having an IPA in the repertoire. So for us, it's an IPA. But, yeah, I think hoppier styles that are in the 5%-ish range is probably the truth of the matter, and I think that will continue to grow here. It, it, and it, it's interesting to hear uh, you say that because, you know, I, I look at the, um, the Australian climate, um, the Australian approach to drinking, which has its pluses and minuses, and also the excise, and we seem to have been, you know, leaders um you know, our styles and the styles that we have really championed do seem to be those low four percent yeah uh nice aromatic you know styles that are now coming to be called oceanic pale ales or summer pale ales you know that pacific yeah. ale style um or even not that not um, the pacific ale is necessarily a style no well no no that was, yeah that, <laughs> well, that was that, that, that pacific ale like style yes. um, <laughs> yeah, let, 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 let's not go there just now um but also, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of brewers take what they call a Kölsch and give it a distinctly Australian thing. They're not German Kölsches. They're probably inspired by and have yep. that sort of exotic name. But they're sort of almost a golden ale. They've got that nice multi-backbone, yep. nice spritzy hops and a little bit of aroma. Um, so it's not quite an Australian pale ale, but it's not a German, uh, you know, pale ale either. Yep. And uh, but. What, what brewers are starting to call a Kolsch is a, you know, is a beautiful, almost another signature Australian beer style. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. And I think, I think it's probably, there's just a distinctiveness there between, um, I guess, what Australians, the Australian culture as, as a whole. American culture, for bad or good, they push the boundaries in big and really stand out and challenge, challenge, challenge. And, um, and that's where you end up with these incredible, incredible quadruple and triple IPAs. And these, these, we do it here, but not like the way they do it. It's palate-wrecking things. You go to a beer list in the west coast of the States in Portland or in San Francisco, and, and it, there'll be 12 IPAs and probably three, you know, 
double IPAs and maybe a multi beer on there. And that's that's kind of how they that's how they approach things. And, and and it's great. And I have a wonderful time there. But I think Australians like to play within the uh, subtle side of things and have a have a bit of um, have a bit of a play on how to take an existing style and just adapt it a bit um, rather than push the boundaries of of palate like that. It's rather play with the palate and kind of much closer to food. You know, when when you look at food in Australia, we're always our culture is that um, and coffee as well. We try we strive for the best, not not the boldest. Um, and I think that um, there's an expectation that we deliver quality like that. So, um, and it's not always big intense flavors that 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 deliver that, um, whether it's food or um, or coffee or or beer. Um, so I think it's just indicative of of the uh, of the lifestyle. But yeah, I think um, I think weather, excise, and um, and uh, also how how we live plays into a part of that. You know, people the the session. Um, while it's, I'm sure it occurs, I'm, I'm certain it occurs in North America. Um, here, it's it's a big part of culture. You know, to get together at two o'clock on a Saturday or a Sunday and hang out until six or seven with your friends. If you're sitting on IPAs, you're not going to make it. You're either going to have to nurse your beers. Um, you know, whereas here they'll sit on you know those 4.2 or 4.7 percent beers and just enjoy it. Um, and it's just a different. It's just a different lifestyle here. Now I know that you've uh, got to get in and brew uh, <laughs> in, in, in a couple of minutes. So, uh, Prof, is there anything that you want to finish off with? Yeah, I want to finish off where we started, Derek. So, something that people may not know about Derek Hales is that uh, your background is sort of in the in the the big uh, corporate world in uh, in marketing, and that yep. that particular string to your bow has uh, led you to take on a position with um, Good Beer Week. So, are you in for a big year this year, mate, or what? You've you've, you've got a bit on your plate. Yeah, I do. And, you know, they've actually been quite understanding with me, Prof. They, um, yeah, I, I was helping a heck of a lot more last year than the, la- the last couple of months. I've, um, I've assisted, but um, really only the Good Beer Committee meetings as a sounding board. Um, but uh, the team have done a great job, and really all that, all those kudos have to go to uh, Kate and Siobhan particularly. Um, they're, they're really in and Carrie and Tiff as well, but you know, we're all involved, but they, they drive that boat. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I'm fortunate that they invited me to become a part of the community and, and I'm, I'm very happy that I'm, you know, a part yeah. of the group that actually is the force behind it. Um, it's going to be a big year uh, for good beer week, lots of stuff going on. So I'll do my, do my best to help out where I can, but um, they know the priority now. <laughs> We've got a business and we have to, we have to keep focused on that and I have to keep making beer. <laughs> but it does also recognize the importance, I guess, of, of, um, of having a, a range of voices um, coming from within Good Beer Week, so that it is all encompassing. Obviously, at the end of the day, you know the consumer makes it happen, um, yep. but but creating that product that they that they want to um, kind of devour um, is very much up to the the different voices um, that you guys all bring to the the project. So, yep. on that note, good luck with it. Ah, oh, thank you, thank you. It's and there is it's a great group of voices. There's some incredible people that are on that committee, and I'm I'm just fortunate that they've asked me to be a part of that. Um, it's, it's incredible, and I think we're gonna have a lot of fun this year. There's pretty cool events and and things coming, but uh, just watch this space is what I'd say. <laughs> Derek Howes from Bad Shepherd Brewing. Thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thank you so much for having me. In the garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. 
Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpacks brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There we go, Prof. Mate, that was a great chat. Really enjoyed. I've not met Derek. I know very, being a Brisbane boy, I know very little about the Bad Shepherd, um, but he was, a, he was a great conversation. Yeah, and look, for those outside of um, of Melbourne, really, you're, you're probably, it's going to be a while before you get to, to try his beers unless you, you come down to the brewery because that's, that's all part of the model. It's very much, you know, embracing Cheltenham and, and the, the, that southeast, you know, the, the suburban regional Melbourne. Um, he has got some some beer in bottles, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure I forgot to ask him. But perhaps we can throw it in the show notes with the details. I think it's only available sort of over the counter at the you know as as takeaways, um, you know cellar door kind of takeaways from the from the brewery at, at this stage. Um, but just the uh, I guess his his passion uh, was what really um, struck me about. About Derek, he and I um, have known each other for quite a while now through Gabs and through um, being stewards at the uh, Australian International Beer Awards many years ago. So um, just just a great story, and I think a great inspiration for uh, for a lot of people who want to either get into the hospitality side of craft beer or beer, um, or into the the brewing side. Excellent, and uh, just we probably should let people know. Uh, we'll put this in the show notes as well, but uh, they are at 386 Reserve Road, Cheltenham, and they're open Wednesday to Sunday from midday until 11pm. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday, midnight Friday and Saturday and 8pm on Sunday. Um, and you can find them at badshepherd.com.au. So we'll put all of that in the show notes. So, uh, yeah, no, a great chat. Thanks for teeing, uh, teeing up. Um, now, let me see. Now, we've just got a little bit of uh, promo to do. We've, we're doing, we, Australian Brews News and Radio Brews News, uh, sponsors of the Good Beer Week, um, and we're bringing out the Beer Geek Package. Um, so we're sponsoring the Beer Geek Package, um, and so we just need to let our listeners know that the Good Beer Week Gala Showcase is on, 18th and 19th of March at the Fitzroy Town Hall. Tickets are on sale now, and you can get them by going to goodbeerweek.com.au forward slash showcase. And again, that will go in the show notes. Um, and that's, that's and buy a, tickets. a really good opportunity for people. It's, it's kind of like a little mini um, festival, I guess, with um, in the format of, you know, uh, brewer stands uh, throughout the town hall. Um, a great vibe, a great buzz, great opportunity to um, try those beers that you've heard about and and. Uh, haven't had a, a chance to sip yet. Um, meet the brewers and and some of their sales guys and that sort of thing. And it's just look, it's a, it's almost like it's a good practice for uh, getting into into good beer week. So uh, yes, jump online. Uh, you can get it from the website or um, just remember good beer week forward slash showcase. Um, in another news, we are going. We're sort of quite heavily involved in uh, good beer week this year. We're running a uh, it's probably a trade thing uh, for brewers at the Cryer Malt uh, stand above Beer Deluxe uh, during the week. Um, the Cryer the the Malt Lounge. The Cryer Malt Lounge, yes. So we're hosting a couple of. They want us to bring our inimitable conversation, conversational approach to uh, Good Beer Week, and so we're coming up with a couple of uh, discussion panels that are going to sort of open the kimono about some of the big issues in craft brewing of particular interest for brewers. So. Uh, Keep an eye out for details about that. And uh, even sooner than that, actually the week before the gala showcase, we're going to be in Sydney. Uh, got an email overnight 
locking everything in a way for our podcast from the pub with Charlie Bamforth. It's going to be at the new uh, Beer Deluxe at King Street Wharf in Sydney, 6 till 8 p.m. on Sunday, the 13th of March. We'll be getting tickets up this week. But listeners, um, and we, we do have a lot of very keen uh beer geeks, um, and also a lot of brewers, uh, professional brewers uh, who listen to the show, and even uh, keen ha- amateurs. If you are in Sydney, make sure you get along to the IBD craft beer um, stream, which is uh, Monday and Tuesday of that week, uh, for some really good um, craft beer-focused uh, information. And that's a great, yeah, a great initiative by the IBD to have a um, inverted commas, you know, craft beer stream as part of the the conference uh, because it is recognizing that it's it's all we're all part of this same thing but it, it is it is a different side of it um different um people involved but uh both can kind of learn from each well and it was interesting to hear that uh derek has done some of the ibd yeah, training yeah. so it, it, it anyone that's thinking of going pro you heard what derek said about training um the ibd conference is a great way to get started uh, on that training so uh yeah but look out uh sunday the 13th the night before it all kicks off uh, we'll be having a podcast in the pub. Uh, we're putting on some beer. Um, tickets will be around about $10. Um, and you'll get a chance to uh, ask some questions directly of uh, Charlie, listen to Pete and I uh, have a bit of a chat and also have some great beers. So uh, lock that in the diary. We might even, um, might even also uh, arrange to have some uh, some books as well that yes. Charlie can sign for us. Yeah, have a great idea. Um, I'll, I'll uh, flick him an email and see if he can throw some in his luggage that we can do. Um, good idea, Prof. Um, now, Lockie, hit us with a little bit of male music. I'm just waiting for the Sunday mail. Ooh, it come. Oh, mate, it's it, 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 Oh, sorry. <laughs> He really went up tempo with that little number, didn't he, Prof? Yeah, I just, I just was, in my uh, head because I was listening. Uh, I, I you know, muted my microphone so I couldn't hear what Lockie had chosen. But um, yeah, male music. I was just kind of thinking, yeah, M A. Oh, I got where you're going. Very quiet on the male front this week. No reviews. Please, listeners, if you like the show, if you like what we do, jump on iTunes and just leave a rating. Help other people find us, and you know, hopefully, tell them how good we are. Or Tell us uh, where we can improve. You can also email us uh, to tell us where we can get better. Yep. Um, but we had Matt O'Keefe, um, who's who's from CUB. Um, I've met Matt. I've had a beer with him before. A lovely fellow. He's their IP guy and does a lot of their brewing history. And we sort of came into contact after all of the uh, Crown Lager stuff. But uh, he's a great guy and a great guy to be looking uh, custi- custodian of a lot of their beer history. So it's not surprising that he weighed in on our um, episode 77 bronze brews and he said with peter simon, with yeah. peter simon. Uh, great interview really enjoyed it i'm a details man like peter appears to be which is very tactful way of talking about some of the minutiae that we went into with um peter prof yes <laughs> bought this book this morning too will be a nice addition to the library and i'll have uh one of my home brewing mates make up some of the brews keep up the good work so uh thanks matt thanks very much for weighing in uh on, on the um Comments. Uh, listeners, you can uh, get in touch with us. Um, the number is there, 30401508, 07 uh, prefix. prefix. 
Um, give us a call. Let us know what you think. We'll play it on the next edition. Um, let us know who you want to hear. Um, if you've got any questions for, for any guests, we can uh, even get those and uh, you know respond to you in the next episode. But, uh, Prof, not much else to say this episode. Great chat with uh, Derek. Um, now, you, you're teeing up a couple of interviews next week. We probably can't tease them yet. We haven't got anyone locked in. No, no, there just will a couple be... to confirm. But some, uh, yeah, a couple in the same sort of vein. Some guys who have been around the traps for quite a while who are now going out on their own. So, again, I guess you're shining a bit of a spotlight on... Um, the opportunities that uh, the people with a, a bit of passion and uh, a flair for brewing and and, and a, a desire to to share that passion with a wider audience, um, I think will be of interest to some of our listeners. Actually, one thing I will say, and I'm just this is a bit of a plug for my myself. Uh, well, it's not really a plug for myself, but it's something I'm involved in. Um, just going back a little bit to that conversation that we we're having about beer volume and things. Um, I'm working with the Alliance Hotel in Brisbane. Um, one of my favourite venues to come and do something a little bit different with beer. I mean, we've all been to beer dinners where we've had four or five degustation courses matched to a little serve of beer. So that's not necessarily anything new for a, a beer tasting event. Um, but the food at the... Uh, did, did we eat when you were we up here last did. year? While well, I was up there for the Echo, we caught up with... Uh, that's it? Yeah, Chris and Sarah and had a lovely dinner. Um, the pork belly was just to die for. That's um, right. The uh, no, that was yeah, the suckling pig. Suckling pig, yeah. Um, which uh, yeah, and so I've done a little bit of work with them, just sort of making some beer suggestions. And the suckling pig and La Serene saison was one that I um, uh, paired together. That worked beautifully. And so I often go in and have a few things on the dish and sort of throw a few foods at them. And as a result, we've come up with this idea of beer tapas, where we've come up with eight, ten um, tapas style or you know share plate type serves. Um, and I've matched them to a beer. So you go in and for 25 bucks you get um, haggis scotch quail eggs with Rodenbach Grand Cru. Um, and the idea is that you go in with three or four people, you share the plate and you share the beer. So Because I'd, I'd kind of noticed that whilst it's a great idea to have a small serve of a lot of beers, you know, when, when I grew up, when I got my drinking licence, it was a 285 mil pot in Queensland. Over the last 15, 20 years, that's morphed into a um, schooner and then a pint. pint. Yep. Um, which... You know, works for publicans, but it, it, if you want to sample, you know, a brewery that's got, you know, a bar that's got four or five beers, it doesn't exactly work. So this is a way that you can sit down, have, you know, share plates. And these days we, you know, don't just order one or two courses. We order a whole range of share plates and it's matching beer to that way of serving food. So uh, that's coming up on the, the, the 5th of March and I'll be there sommelier-ing uh, it. Curating. Um, curating. Um, but then they're going to do that every Saturday for lunch. Um, so it's not just going to be at a beer dinner. It's going to be something that they offer as a way to give you a chance to try a whole range of different foods. So uh, really interested to see whether people respond Embrace to that. Embrace it. Yeah, good so, luck. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a, a terrific um, endeavour. And shout out to, uh, yeah, so Loose Trucks Porter gets a run. Um, our friend Shandy yeah, Gargan's yeah. beer. So matching that with Duck that, Spring Roll. That's a cracker of a porter too. Yeah, lots of uh, dry cocoa I got on that, which uh, went very nicely with some duck spring rolls. Uh, Beechworth Pale Ale, another classic I've mentioned during this podcast with uh, Kinkawooka Mussels. Um, bit of Wild Saison from La Serene. So a lot of Australian breweries, but then also throwing in some classics like Rodenbach Grand Cru, um, Gavroche, which is a French uh, yep. red ale. Um, 
and Delirium Tremens with with uh, some pork scratchings, which is a uh, you know one of those classic beers that uh, you know was available 10, 15 years ago and was revered, and you just don't seem to see it uh, much anymore. So um, so, yeah. right. so uh, you can jump on uh, my site um, or on Facebook. Um, or the Alliance Hotel, if you're a Brisbane person, to find out a little bit more about that. But uh, I'll report back and let you know after the 5th of March uh, how that goes. But uh, that plug um, done and all of the other advertising and sponsors, Happy Prof, uh, let's strike up the band. See you next week. And we're out.